Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the finest hour of Colorado Rockies minor league coverage. This is it, episode nine of the 2021 Pebble Report podcast. I am Justin Wick, as always, joined by the legend Kenneth Weber. And today we are joined by another legend in the Purple Row ranks, Mr. Skylar Timmons. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Skylar, I feel like we need to break you in with a little bit of a warm welcome. You're wearing the Papas Fritas hat right now on our little Zoom call. I know nobody on our actual just audio feed is going to be able to see this, but, you know, instant credibility for this guy. We've got some serious stuff. And Skylar, my friend, happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. How you feeling, my brother? Oh, good. No, happy to be here. Give me a break. Talk about some minor league baseball, as opposed to just always talking about the regular old Rockies over on the Affected by Altitude podcast. That is right, my brother. He's switching ties. That's right. Our little internal rivalry going on. He's really crossing barriers, of course. (laughs) Want to give a big tip of the cap to, of course, your counterparts, Evan Lang and Mac Wilcox over at the Affected by Altitude podcast. If you guys haven't been tuning into the last couple episodes on their crew, definitely be sure to check that out. That's going to be in the same exact spot that you find our podcast. So nice and easy to find that going on. And Kenneth, you and I, we're going to have to really step up the ranks because we got to show them what it's about here in the Pebble Row side. Here on the, I mean, Skyler's going to show up and just completely destroy it. It's going to be like, <laughs> all right, Justin and Kenneth are out. This is the Skyler show now. We're fighting for our jobs here on the Pebble mm-hmm. Report. The ongoing to <laughs> Here it is. I'm wearing the big league hat today, of course. Yeah, so of all days to be showing minor league love, Skyler is already dominating the game. I love it, man. I want Anyways, over the, 
Yeah, of course. I'm way <laughs> Kenneth out. is currently wearing the Arizona State hat. So that's, I mean, that's a good mix, though. That's kind of prospect related. So I guess we're all right. <laughs> Over the next hour or so, we are here to celebrate the recent promotion of El Juris Montero and his dominant efforts ever getting a chance and getting it rolling in AAA Albuquerque. We've got to check in on position player Colton Welker and what he's been doing all over the place as he continues to work all the way up through the ranks in AAA. But first, we're about to celebrate a commencement ceremony. Cue the pomp and circumstance. Congratulations to the two newest members of the Colorado Rockies. That is pitchers Ryan Feltner and Julian Fernandez making their major league debuts on Sunday, September 5th. Our record date is Monday, September 6th, so we haven't had a whole lot of time to calm down from the absolute heat that Fernandez was tossing out of Coors Field on Sunday. But we've got, it was an interesting day at the ballpark. Feltner, he did not complete three innings. He gave up six earned runs and three homers at the mercy of the Atlanta Braves was kind of a harsh welcome into the big league ranks. It was I suppose, you know, I hate to say a rude awakening, but you kind of get thrown to the wolves when you're going straight from Hartford into the toughest setting in the big leagues for pitchers and not to mention you're facing the division leader in the NL East. So on the relief side, Fernandez, he tossed one and two thirds innings. He gave up another home run. It was a deep shot that kind of was just a pretty harsh welcome as well. But we saw a lot of optimism to be had out of, at the very least, you know, these guys getting their feet wet. It's fun to see new faces at Coors Field. And it's also fun to see these guys. Let's call it what it is. It's a pretty low leverage final month of the season for the Rockies as we look at the standings and realize that the Rockies are well out of it. But there's something to be said about, you know, there was a buzz at Coors Field yesterday. And it was very cool to recognize that these young men are certainly proving themselves enough in the minor leagues to work through. And on behalf of what we do here, we're here to provide all the minor league analysis for what you need to know about these guys now that they truly are in the purple pinstripes. So, gentlemen, I want to bring you guys into this as far as touching on what Ryan Feltner has been up to, where he's been in Hartford, how he's been climbing up through Spokane as well, and the Rockies rotation with a ton of injuries and immediate need. I've thought to myself, of course, it's very easy in hindsight looking at you know how Rocky his debut truly was. It could have been easier to maybe give him a little bit of time in AAA, give him a start or two, get him used to the Albuquerque adjustment. But there wasn't a whole lot of time to do that because of the injury to John Gray, because of the injured list placement of Austin Gomber. So is there anything as far as do you think that it could have been better prepared or was this more just a matter of necessity for what the Rockies really needed? Skyler, I'll let you take it first. Yeah, I think a little bit of both. You know, he, he could have been a little bit better prepared. You know, that is a tough welcoming into the big, into the big leagues when you're hopping up from Double A Hartford over on the East Coast, and then you're immediately playing against the leader of the National League East, and who are a very good team, and he's pitching in Colorado after only being up there for a day or so. So, you know, that, that kind of a rude awakening for him. Could have been a little bit better prepared or a little bit better circumstances for him. But again, those are things out of your control. Uh, but you know, for the most part, I think just being up there at the big league level, there's a lot of things that he could have, I guess, got to learn and just guess develop in the way that he's doing things. You know, but ideally, you no, know, probably would have been good to get him a start somewhere else, maybe on the road first before yes. you know, he pitches at Coors Field or something. But 
<laughs> you throw him to the wolves, of course. All of a sudden, you recognize. I, I thought it was funny to see his first home run that he gave up. People, I mean, the media tweets that were coming out was going, that was as coarse as any home run that's going to be leaving the yard. Just a towering one right over the right field scoreboard. On but the anyways, first pitch he threw in the majors. Yes, no kidding. Yeah, don't burn your tongue on that coffee too hard right there. Yeah. <laughs> the first Oh, my pitch. goodness. <laughs> that made me think of summer catch. Like that, there you that's, go. That's right. That's how much of a movie moment <laughs> moment that was, and like not in a good way, but it was it was pretty humorous on the the welcome to the big leagues moment. It doesn't get any bigger than that. That was just incredible to me, honestly. And I mean, it was funny because you know I thought the same thing. Lucas Gilbreth, the same thing happened to mm-hmm. him in his debut in Chase Field, and you know I thought to myself as far as you know, I suppose I can't blame them if you're like put yourself in the shoes of all right i'm in the big leagues let's just get ahead let's spot up a fastball let's get the count in our favor and then let's roll and like i mean growing up i'd like taking a pitch just to get comfortable just from i mean maybe that's why i wasn't any better of a hitter than i was but honestly <laughs> like it well, was just not really fair when it's ozzy albies who is leaving the yard every Jeez. single game that he's playing right now so like the mindset is probably like don't throw it over the backstop don't throw it over the backstop and he throws a strike Problem is, it's Ozzy Albies hitting, and he immediately just jumps all over it. So just I mean, it, dumbfounding man. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but I mean, it, there there was jitters. I think that is pretty fair to say with Feltner, and we're talking about the the preparation that would have been ideal for him. Well, the Rockies aren't really in a spot because, or to give him that, because the pitching depth has been a problem the entire year, and then also this is a rash of injuries all kind of hitting at once. So there was an immediate need that had to be filled. And I think Feltner deserved the opportunity. He earned the opportunity to make the big jump without having to go through Albuquerque, without having to get his feet wet on the road or something like that, because we've talked about Feltner all year long, and it is very hard to point to any other pitcher in the Rockies minor league system and say that they've been better than Ryan Feltner. So he has continued to progress. He's continued to be dominant throughout the season at multiple levels. Well, you know what? He's going to be on the 40-man roster this offseason. So why not just get him in there now? We need somebody. He's been great in the minors all the way throughout. Let's give him a shot. So, yeah, it wasn't ideal. And I think this was more of a command issue than anything else. There was nothing out there with Ryan Feltner that made you believe he can't cut it you know, he's not going up there flipping 83 mile an hour fastballs up there. <laughs> the stuff was fine. The stuff was just over the middle of the plate. We talked about this is the Atlanta Braves. They're leading the NL East and, you know, have been a solid team for the past couple of years, too. Maybe if he gets Arizona, he doesn't get beat up the way sure. he does against the Braves. But big league hitters can still hit mislocation over the middle of the plate. And that's just what he experienced. So, I think he'll come back. He'll be better because that's what we've seen him do throughout this entire season. So there's still good takeaways, even though it's a rough debut. Sure. I think you make a great point as far as, you know, the immediacy of it was just a necessity. And there really isn't an easy opponent on the Rockies stretch right now. They're playing the Braves and then they're rolling right into a series with the Giants. And when necessity calls, you really can't dance around. Just you got to get somebody in the mix right away. And the schedule isn't exactly favorable for it, but at the same time, it can only get better from here, presumably, especially, you know, down a pennant race when you're trying to square off against a team that this is at, at that solid at that point in time. And Skyler, I want to bring you in on this as far as is, was Feltner just the best available option? And 
I don't know if the Rockies could necessarily turn anywhere else. I mean, it was, I don't know if Ryan Castellani is going to make a return to the big leagues after kind of getting his chance and seeing what he's been through. Jose Mejica was just, I mean, he was just outrighted and taken off the 40 man roster. Of course, Ryan Rollison is hurt. Peter Lambert isn't quite ready to go. I don't necessarily think that the elder statesman Frank Duncan is going to be climbing out of triple a Albuquerque by any means. So anyways, if you wanted to touch on this, just as far as where exactly have the Rockies had an opportunity to, to, to turn and kind of your thoughts on, was this really just an essential move that they kind of had to make? Yeah. To, to quote the wise words of Homer Simpson by default, the two greatest words in the English language. <laughs> and like, that, that's kind of what it felt like with Ryan Feltner really because yeah, he was the best available option because you look at triple a Albuquerque, those starter that starting pitching just isn't very good. You know, your two big two guys with big league experience is Derek Rodriguez and Ryan Castellani. Sure. Neither are on the 40 man roster and neither of them are having a very good season in triple A. And so your other guys, they're not really doing anything. So that option to bring up Ryan Feltner, who's doing really good in double A, why not take the gamble? Oh, and I saw somebody else talking on Twitter when he was called up that he was going to be rule five draft pick available this off season anyway. So Rockies would have had to add him anyway. So why not sure. now? Like we're saying yes. and, and put him on there. So I think you know, he was the best available option because once you get into that triple a depth, especially the Rockies are really thin. And I'm sure you guys sure. talked about it before that the Rockies organization at a whole, it's very bottom heavy and not really a whole lot of guys up top. You know, and with it Peter is. Lambert, Ryan Rollison, both kind of working through injuries and stuff. Why not give Feltner the the look, give him the chance to prove himself, get some of that experience, get his feet wet, and learn how he can improve so he can battle for a spot come around spring. Sure, think, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point about Rollison. I think Lambert, you had to expect that this was going to be building momentum to to be healthy and throw a full year next year. But this was supposed to be Rollison's start before the health injuries, the health issues really crept up this season for him. It was anticipated that he would be that next in line. He would be the September call up. He would be the guy who was, you know, trying to fight for his chance to earn a spot in the rotation. Um, and Feltner had an opportunity and made the most of it this year with Rollison kind of not, you know, being healthy throughout the season. So. Um, I think that that's a really good point to bring up is, you know, hey, Rollison was supposed to be this guy. Feltner performed excellent throughout the minors this entire season and earned his chance this year. Sure. I think that's a tremendous point. I think it's interesting to follow along, you know, a 2018 draftee in Feltner. And I think the college game, it is different than the pro game. I mean, no matter how we want to break it down, I would say it's probably less different for a starting pitcher than it is a position player, for example, because it's pretty common, you know, You'll see six or seven day rotations for starters throughout the minor leagues. But, you know, you progress through, you're starting to climb up through the ranks and all of a sudden 2020 shut down the entire minor league season and it disrupted everybody's routines. But we'll touch on Julian Fernandez here in a moment, talking about a guy that had his routine disrupted. But as far as where Feltner has been, he's been able to establish normal routines. Do you feel like is there any shot to suggest that, you know, coming up from double A, was he called up too early? I think that this is way too early to discuss this because we're only one outing in and we really don't know necessarily. 
but is it something that would you be more averse to make somebody climb from double A to the big leagues after 2020 or is pretty much the majority of the minor league season at the end of this year? Is that enough to really buy into? He actually might be ready to make a jump like that. No, I, I think it's, it's fine. You know, these guys are professionals still. And I know none of them were, you know, they weren't sitting doing nothing all last year sure, yes. we're still working out and doing all this <laughs> stuff and so i think no yeah it's a setback in being in game situations no but they've been playing for like five what, four or five months now uh this year and that's plenty of time for him to get back into that rhythm because that's the beauty of baseball is you know once you get into that rhythm throughout the year anything kind of in the past doesn't matter as much you know, and you can kind of get in that rhythm that experience this year no and that's the beauty of baseball too, is you can always take those gambles. You know, guys can jump up from double A to the big leagues and do completely fine. You know, we saw Antonio Antonio Senzatella has done it now. Yes. You no know, position player wise, we always see it. You now we see it with other teams too, that they call up guys fairly quickly and they just dominate, especially against the road Rockies. So <laughs> it, 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 it just depends. That's the beauty of baseball is it's, you just never know. And it's always worth a gamble. If you believe in a guy and he's doing good, showing those good signs, throw him in there. Give him a chance. See what he can do. Sure. He might surprise you. Yeah, and there's a big difference from making a jump from high A as opposed to double A. I think double A is a big prove-it level, and he's proved that he can handle it in double A. So um, it's it's not unheard of. It's not uncommon, as Skyler was alluding to. And I think the, the other point that I want to bring up with it, too, is he is quickly approaching the most – innings pitched he's ever thrown in a single season he had 119 innings in 2019 in Asheville he's at 110 um, throughout the minor leagues this season yet you know you tack on the two and two-thirds or whatever he threw yesterday Um, you know it's don't buy too much stock into the performance this year in these these couple of starts that he's going to get in the major leagues um, see if he can stick, see if he can compete. Sure. But this is the most innings he's going to throw in a single season. There was no 2020 as Justin alluded to, and he's getting his first taste of big league action after skipping right over triple a. So, I mean, there's a lot working against him, but this is a tremendous learning experience for Feltner. And again, I'll just go back to the point that he's earned it with the way he's performed this year. So, you know, is it the most ideal circumstances? No, but that's kind of how baseball works is sometimes the issue just gets forced and, Hopefully he responds and, and proves that he can be a part of this rotation and this pitching core moving forward. I think that there's a lot of optimism to be had about, you know, his next presumed start will likely be on the road. And, you know, you have your family flying in, you're coming to the home ballpark, you're staying in a hotel in your presumed new city at this point in time. And honestly, I think it might be better for him. You know, he's got his feet wet all of a sudden, but now he's going to go on the road. It's going to be a standard road trip, similar. Well, I shouldn't say a standard road trip because the big league road trips are a lot cooler than the minor league road trips. But nonetheless, you know, I think there's going to be a degree of he doesn't have to be as I don't want to use the word timid, but I suppose, you know, starstruck of everybody's coming in to see you. I mean, the ovation that he received coming off the mound, even after a less than desirable outing just shows that how significant the day in and of itself was. So I think it's going to be very cool to see that it's it's business as usual from here on out for a guy like him, or at least we can hope that it is business as usual. And if it is, if he keeps doing what he's been doing in the minor leagues, we could certainly be looking at somebody that's going to be a staple in this rotation for days to come, which is for years to come, hopefully. And that's what we saw with Sentatella. And hopefully that's what we see with a young man like this. 
So speaking of young men that are absolutely shoving in the minor leagues, I want to transition over to a guy that just tied the single pitch velocity record for 2021. It was a high O2 fastball to Dansby Swanson. That was one of the coolest pitches I have ever seen in my life. Clocked in at 102.4 miles an hour, which was matched only by a man by the name of Araldus Chapman this year, which if you're rivaling that guy in velocity, you're doing pretty good for yourself. So this is Julian Fernandez. He came in, he tossed one and two thirds innings. It got a little rocky in his second inning of work. His first inning was fantastic. And he was rolling through Atlanta's bottom of the order. The top of the order kind of got a little bit of the best of him, but at the same time, you know, we're doing pretty solid as far as what this guy's been working with. And this has been a pretty serious situation that all of a sudden we've got somebody to get real excited about, even if it's just that he can throw absolute flames out of his hands. So speaking of where he's been, as far as, you know, what the rigors that he was handed, of course, he's given a Braves lineup that can hit very significantly. Well, I almost said an expletive right there that I probably shouldn't on a podcasting setting, but <laughs> Anyways, it's easy to analyze this in hindsight, but would it have been better to cut him off at that one inning mark, knowing, you know, adrenaline is significantly high at his debut. You got a rocket of an arm. You had a good inning. Let's preserve your momentum. Let's feel good about this. Or is there a case for giving him two innings? You know, he, it's been, I believe, six days since his debut or since he was called up to when he made his debut. That's a pretty uncharacteristic switch because he's been pitching every two or three days in the minors, whether it be double A AA or triple A this year. So his arm was fresh. His adrenaline was high. There's a lot of situations to go from this. Was it good to give him a taste of the top of the Atlanta order? Or would you think it would have been better just to kind of cut him loose and let him roll through the bottom of the order just with one frame? I think to get his feet wet, I would have liked to have seen him just do the one inning uh, because, you know, with these major league hitters, if you have a new guy coming in that's pumping the gas like he was, you know, I think, by the time that second inning rolls around, they've had time to have guys come in, tell their other hitters, like, this is what it looks like. Sure. They can time them up a little better, which we saw there in that second inning. And, you know, again, that adrenaline kind of settles down when he goes out for that second inning. And I like what they're talking about on the broadcast, uh, Ryan Spielborgs and Drew Goodman. You know that probably would have been better just to keep him that one inning for his debut because he's used to throwing only one inning coming in later on facing his three batters or so. So it probably would have been better just to have him do the one inning, but like we were talking about before, his arm's fresh. It's always worth a gamble. You could see what he does with another another inning or so. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him, but still a very impressive debut. Yeah, I mean, the circumstances kind of also forced the hand of trying to make him go multiple innings, and this ties in with Feltner's debut and not being able to get out of the third inning. So by the time that Fernandez is called upon, it's the fifth inning and you still have a lot of outs left to get. Um, he was super duper impressive in that first inning of work. It wasn't a super high pitch count too. And I think he recorded two outs before all of the damage started accumulating. So, you know, it didn't work out, but you still at the very least take away how dominant he was in that first inning. And this comes back to, to what we talked about a few weeks ago, too. When you look at Fernandez and the arm that he has, Bowden and, you know, what he's capable of, Lawrence is super funky, high gas, too. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of real high-octane pieces that could assemble the right way to form, you know, a dominant bullpen. Um, and Fernandez, at least, we got the glimpse of it. It 
uh, you know, he, we had to get outs. He looked fine. It didn't work out. And that's whatever. I think we'll see a lot more of the first inning Fernandez moving forward, the one inning guy, um, and not stretch him out too far. So I'm still, I'm still happy with the, with, with the performance. Sure. And I don't necessarily think it was a bad outing on any, on, on any level. I mean, it was sure. You don't want to give up runs like that, but you know, it wasn't, I mean, you had one pitch that got away with you with the home run mm-hmm. and you know, fatigue might, I think it's very easy to get tired in a debut setting, especially when you're a high, like a high octane reliever, like he is, you know, you're used to going one or two innings at a time and you're in the Denver altitude all of a sudden I get that you've been used to it in Albuquerque. So that's not a huge transition, but at the same time, you know, you breathe a little bit heavy when there's a big league uniform in the other batter's box. I can only presume that's a little bit more rigorous than facing the salt Lake bees or something like that. But yeah, not to bash them by any means, but it's, (laughs) I thought it was, it was so exciting just to see, you know, I don't really have any like next level analysis aside from just me being such a devout fan, loving to see people just throw, this hard all the time and I think that there's a lot to be said as far as you know he instantly was able to get his feet wet and then he was able to come back out there but his velocity was somewhat down again he was still touching 100 in the second inning so I mean what does down really mean in that sense but you know real hard it was yeah no kidding yeah I got tired I was only at 99 I don't know what happened yeah but I mean that was something that I thought it was interesting especially if you kind of look around the big league landscape of how much do these guys throw and I guess a a good way of looking at this the 2016 series when Araldus Chapman was with the Cubs he was all of a sudden asked to throw a lot more than one inning at a time a lot more often his velocity shot down quite a bit and it was kind of reflected in the Cubs got themselves into a little bit of issues later in innings because the workload for Araldus Chapman was just so heavy. So I'm not necessarily trying to compare a world series run to a kid's debut like this. And I get, you know, it's one inning, it's one outing in. So it's really not essential that we necessarily view it like this, but I think that the mold as far as what the big league format has been set up with is really suggesting that Julian Fernandez is going to be a one inning guy. And that's not to say that's a bad thing. And honestly, I think that's probably the versatile thing. We're seeing that a lot with Carlos Estevez to begin with. And we're seeing a lot of at least the Rockies being able to capitalize on the high velocity situations. And like you mentioned, you know, when you've got Justin Lawrence that can run it up there, you've got Carlos Estevez. If you've got guys that can touch triple digits and you really are looking for guys that are going to blow it past people in the late innings, it's not like you really need to extend the leash on these guys when you know, let's say it's a one or two run ball game where you really need to hold it on. You could go Estevez, Fernandez, and Lawrence back to back, and you've got three guys that can just, speaking of which, that's well worth the price of admission alone to begin with. But as far as where we see, I, I mean, it's, it's clearly too early to say where his role is going to be, but is it safe to reason that, you know, he's getting to where he is. He's proven this after the three years that he took off after Tommy John surgery, he recovered for another year. He had COVID shut him out for another year. Has it been impressive to see him do this as much as he has this year? Or I also hate to be this kind of bringer of concerning news, but is there a chance that we kind of see him burn himself out quite a bit? This is something that might be kind of common, especially when you see how volatile bullpens can be especially when we see how volatile the Colorado bullpens have been in recent years, as far as guys leaving or guys not panning out like we've hoped to. 
Is there anything to necessarily be concerned about or because he's so young and because he's overcome so much adversity to begin with, do we really feel like, you know, you overcome three years of setbacks and you make it to the big leagues. Does that fortify who he is? And are we truly looking at a guy that's going to be here to stay for quite a while? Yeah, I think, uh, like you're saying, uh, it's always dangerous when the guys, are, the guys especially are out there pumping the gas like that. You know, where you do have those concerns of like, how long is this going to last? You know, how long can he keep doing this? Or is his arm going to blow out or anything like that? Uh, which, you know, we never know. But I think Fernandez has proven, you know, that he can bounce back over all that adversity. You know, coming back through all this stuff and then able to come into a big league ball game and just start blowing it past the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> you know, and I just have that vision of what we're talking about with that Rockies bullpen in the future, just having guys that can come in and just get strikeouts, just be dominant over opposing batters. You know, and ideally, you know, I'd love to see him coming in the eighth or the ninth inning, a one-run lead, and he's just pumping heat and getting out of those jams and stuff. And so I, I, if he can keep throwing strikes and just you know, maintain his health and everything, I think he can stick around for a while and have a lot of success. Yeah, there's, there's nothing really in the, you know, the red flags that isn't true of any pitcher, you know, because the pitchers are just ticking time bombs uh, a lot of the time. And so is health always a concern? Yeah, but you can say that about any pitcher. And um, I give him the benefit of the doubt, as, as Skyler was mentioning, because of how much he's overcome. I mean, it's it's not like he hasn't been throwing 100 forever when he had the, the post-game press conference with Estevez interpreting. Uh, he's been throwing, you know, high-octane gas since he was 18 years old. And so I don't think that there's any adjustment or any, you know, physical issues that come with newfound velocity. He's been living in that world forever. Um, I think that there is enough injury history to where you're not surprised if something happens, but I'm not banking on that being the case. I'm just hoping that, you know, he stays healthy. Uh, he was consistently in or around the zone with his stuff too. So there wasn't anything that really indicated that he was going to be, uh, you know, hitting the bowl or anything like that at any given time. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it, it's positive takeaways. He's earned the benefit of the doubt that he's going to be a, a good dude for this team moving forward. And you just hope that the health stays there. Um, you know, it's a great story. That's that's one of the biggest takeaways, too, is, you know, it's so cool seeing a major league debut with Feltner and the atmosphere that comes into it and everything. There's a lot of anticipation for Fernandez within the organization for a long time. He's been around the Rockies, even though he was a rule five pick away from the Rockies twice, basically. <laughs> he still has been very well regarded as a future piece of the bullpen in this system. And we finally got to see it on the biggest stage. Um, and so that's, that's a really cool story because he overcame a lot of adversity to get there. You know, I think you guys are touching on it perfectly. And I think as far as what I would like to add on it, he's already gone through Tommy John surgery and he's still throwing mid hundreds. And that's like, mm -hmm. I think that this is where the unpopular take might be. I believe that Tommy John surgery for a lot of guys is somewhat of a rite of passage at a certain point when we see how many scars are truly in the big leagues at this point in time 
but it's yeah Kenneth just lifted up his elbow and so did I on our zoom call sorry I mean I feel bad Skyler's the one guy that's holding it down for us I have tendonitis (laughs) (laughs) we're two for three on the pebble report podcast right here I love it man yeah I mean we we talk about Fernandez getting touched up he gave up a single to last year's MVP yeah and then he gave up a bomb to a dude who's you know sniffing 30 home runs right now, <laughs> so it's not like Tony Walters just turned on him like this was <laughs> some legitimate competition that he just faced so hey it happens they're big league hitters they get paid to hit the baseball I mean you also made Dansby Swanson look like an absolute fool yeah. up there too I mean that's something that I, I mean my apologies if Dansby Swanson's tuning in he's probably not going to want to be on our show ever after I said that but like yeah. that was <laughs> I mean I look at that at bat alone and I'm just like he got to 0-2 and I'm thinking to myself if he's going to hit 103 today it's going to be on this pitch just going I mean I was licking my chops going of course I'm thrilled that the AT&T Sportsnet broadcast has the velocity numbers on the screen right after they're thrown I mean for the sole reason of because it's this guy on the mound of course why like why not here we go but I mean he he turned I mean he throws so effortless like I mean it doesn't look like it's rigorous for him which I think as far as you know projecting longevity I realize there's a lot more underneath the surface and I don't know if it really matters how it visually looks, but you know, it looks as clean as it does that I think that definitely bodes well for him projecting longevity at this point. And he's proven it as long as he has, but that ball came out of his hand and that was the one that he hit 102.4. And it got me really excited to recognize, you know, this is after he's been sitting on the bench for six days. Like, yes, you've got the big league adrenaline, but I think it tamed down a little bit. And I think that if we saw, you know, I think Bud Black was kind of waiting for that low leverage situation to put him in, which I think is appropriately so. You're not going to throw him into the fire right away. But I can only wonder, you know, I think the situation itself wasn't indicative for when he could bring it as hard as he could, which is the scariest thing to me. Like, I truly think that if he was throwing on the two to three days rest, like he's kind of used to, like I, I, this might be far fetched of me to say, but I, I truly think there's more in the tank for this guy. And as far as pure viewership, like how awesome is this? You're a fourth place team in the NL West, and there's not much to really get excited about in terms of a pennant race. But we've got a guy like this, and we've got a guy like we've got sidearm funky action going on with Justin Lawrence as well. We've got Estevez that's being his right hand man, and. I guess one other thing that I want to touch with, this is kind of out of the blue, but Carlos Estevez has been Fernandez interpreter these last couple of days. And it's been absolutely awesome. Just it, it's funny because, you know, a question will come up and we'll hear Estevez will start smiling as he's talking to Fernandez. And it's just like a back and forth talking about like they're having a good time and it's just like they're enjoying themselves. And I think the comfort level as far as having a guy like Estevez that's taken him through this and just truly being an integral part of where this development is. Estevez talked about he's known Fernandez dating back to when he first joined the Rockies organization back in 2017. And as far as the big league comforts, I think it's really cool that he has somebody looking out for him as much as he is. And I really do think, I mean, I don't know where further analysis can go with this, but I really do think that because he has somebody looking out for him as best as he does with Carlos Estevez, I think there's an expedited comfort level that comes along with that. And I think it's going to be very excited to see how the two of those guys continue to feed off of each other. I realize as a fan, we might not be able to interpret that nearly as well, just being an outsider looking in, but it's very cool to see, especially in these press conferences alone, that these two are getting along as well as they are. 
And I think there's something to be said about having a buddy like that in the big leagues that's really showing him the ropes. Yeah, I think Estevez is an excellent ambassador, too, for a lot of these younger guys. Fernandez, obviously, there's a bit more of a personal relationship, but it's taken Estevez a long time to really kind of find himself at the big leagues, uh, you know, when coming in and being that stuff guy from the from the get go, like Fernandez is now. He's really developed himself as a pitcher and found new ways to refine his craft and be, you know, the best reliever that he can. And the results are really starting to come around with Estevez this year, especially too. So um, I think that, you know, Oberg was kind of that guy for, for years and years with the Rockies. And I think for Estevez now having the experience that he does, there's a lot that he can teach to Fernandez, to Lawrence, to Bowden, to make them better pitchers too. So I think that that's another excellent part of the whole equation is, Hey man, you want a blueprint? He's right there. He's our closer now. So, you know, follow his lead. So there's a lot of good things that comes out of that relationship too. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. The nice part about, you know, all these guys, and that's the benefit you get of a big league club, like the Rockies that have the, you know, draft and develop mentality where the core of your, roster is mostly going to be made up of homegrown guys or guys that have come up and played together in your system is you get that fraternity you get that camaraderie that sometimes a lot of other teams don't get when they sign and bring in a lot of different guys you know and so having guys like Estevez there to you know take these guys under their wing and say hey I'm glad you finally made it I'm going to be here to help you out you know that goes a long way to help a lot of these guys you know both you know, we see it with some of the offensive players with Ryan McMahon and all those guys. And then you see it in the bullpen there with Carlos Estevez and some of these other guys. So that's just a really nice advantage that they have. And it helps, you know, get you through a big league season, even through the drudgery of a rough season that the Rockies are having to have that group of guys to support one another, lift one another up when they're struggling and help one another out. That goes a long way, you know, for a team and for a player. I think it is. Also, very he's got cool. a purple glove. I was just about to say. That's the first time I've seen that since Jose Mesa. Dude, you're throwing it back with Jose Mesa. I remember that when I was like in elementary school going, this guy knows what he's doing right there. (laughs) I think it's awesome. He's got his pace. I believe his grandfather's name is stitched on it as well. And his grandfather actually passed away just a couple of years. I think it was this August, as a matter of fact. And he was talking about that in his return, you know, he he made the promise to his grandfather that he was going to give it everything he had. And he said that as he was coming out of the bullpen, he was thinking about, you know, he fulfilled that commitment to his grandfather and, you know, just such a touching moment as well. When you realize, you know, these are people too. I mean, even though they might not seem like normal people because they throw 103 miles an hour, but like just such a sincere moment, not to mention that, but at the same time, you know, with Ryan Feltner and all of his family coming in, his girlfriend rushed to get to an available plane ticket and was able to make it just in time for first pitch. So big shout out to Ryan Feltner being able to celebrate that occasion as well. But at the same time, you know, we also personally have to lament handing off Julian Fernandez and Ryan Feltner to the Affected by Altitude podcast. Now that they are big leaguers, we don't really get to talk about them anymore. So it's time for us to return to our regularly scheduled minor league action coming up after this short commercial break. We're always watching. I know, man. We're going to have to just be all sour looking at it going, man, we don't get to talk about them anymore on the podcast. So they have officially graduated. It is time to cash in their purple pebbles for something a little bit more significant in the big league ranks. But nonetheless, we are so excited for them. 
So excited for the Affected by Altitude podcast and crew with Mac Wilcox, Evan Lang, Skylar Timmons, carrying the torch, talking about these guys as they continue to prove themselves in the big league circuit. With that being said, don't go anywhere. Back to our routine minor league action coming up after a brief commercial break. And you are listening to the Purple Row Pebble Report podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Purple Row Pebble Report podcast. Welcome back to your routine minor league coverage. Thank you for sticking with us on, you know, if, if you came for the devout minor league following and you realize we spent all the first section talking about two now big leaguers, well, this is your moment, all right? If you're in the market of some minor league cities, you get to soak up some familiar names that you guys might be seeing on a routine basis. We're here to touch on what can presumably be the next position player wave of the Rockies call-ups. They spent a lot of their September call-ups cashing in on the reliever side, bringing up some guys that are going to definitely help bolster the pitching rotation and the pitching bullpen setup for the remainder of the season. But we've got a couple other guys as far as, you know, not to say these were the ones that were left out necessarily, because I think it's safe to say they'll continue to develop a little bit more. But we've got some other promotions from internally within the system. We're going to touch on El Hiris Montero, first and foremost. Recent promotion to AAA Albuquerque. He's only spent three games with the Isotopes, and it's all been against the tough Oklahoma City Dodgers pitching staff, which for those of you that are familiar with Los Angeles Dodgers pitching development, it's safe to reason that that's a pretty stacked setup that, you know, they're kind of throwing him to the wolves. But his first game in AAA, he went two for four. Pretty good showing right there. Scored a run of his own. Very good right out of the shoot. He went one for four in the next day. And then his third game in AAA thus far, he did go 0 for four. So that's combining to go three for 12. Not a dominant setting, but, you know, you're getting your feet wet. That's, I mean, I don't think a 250 average is not too bad as far as the transition of, you know, you're climbing up the ranks and you might be a little bit starstruck getting familiar. But, you know, you came out of the gate, you went two for four in your first setting. And this is certainly showing that, you know, He's kind of picking up where he left off. So I want to bring you guys in on this as far as what the Rockies landscape is for some corner infielding guys. Is it a significant recognition to realize that, you know, there are guys in the system as far as what we're looking for from a corner infielding standpoint. And as we recognize the carousel of the departure of Nolan Arenado, sure, Ryan McMahon has covered a lot of that rigor and he's been very good playing the corner infield. But at the same time, it's always been a rotating landscape of ever since Todd Helton retired, First base has been kind of, I hate to call it an afterthought, but let's call it what it is. It's a lot of rotation as far as things are concerned within the minor league ranks and guys continually climbing up. So what we've got for El Hiras Montero, all of a sudden he is in the AAA landscape. We're looking at probably an expedited path to see him in the mix. And how have you felt about what he's been showing in AAA thus far? It's been impressive. No, it's hard to tell. No, it's only three games at AAA. No, but three for 12 so far. But no, we have looking back at his double A stats all year. You know, when he's been dealing with injuries in the past, he's kind of that unknown quantity in that Nolan Arenado trade. And he's turned some heads this year down down in Hartford. And I'm sure he will continue to do so this month in triple A down in Albuquerque. But he's been a nice commodity, a really nice surprise for the whole minor league system. And you no, know, being a guy that's already on the 40 man roster, it's exciting to think about what he can do if he can, you know, keep improving his approach, approach at the plate, uh, especially on defense, needs to, you know, continue to improve on defense. But 
like we were talking about those corner infielders, the Rockies do kind of have that log jam a little bit. And I've talked about this before, you know, um, the purple row website, written articles on it and talked about on our affected by altitude podcast, you know, revolving like around CJ crone, all the decisions that go around. If you bring him back, what happens with some of these minor leaguers who are knocking on the door, you know, but it's really interesting to see Montero playing those corner infield spots and no providing that bat that you like at those spots. And so it's really exciting to see him improving and really showing what he is, that he is worth a part of that Nolan Arenado deal. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree that the future is kind of murky on where do you put him um, because of just how much we talk about there not being enough pitching depth with the Rockies. Well, there's a lot of corner infield depth. And Montero, we got the 2018 Montero, and this is really what put him on the map at the time. He fell off on 2019, so I think a lot of people were down on him at the point of his acquisition with the Rockies. Well, he's looked like the 2018 Montero this entire season. So, you know, seeing him get one step closer to the big leagues, that's the coolest part about it all. You know, there's the small sample right now, but he just destroyed double-A pitching in Hartford this entire season, and he's really pushing to compete for a spot on the roster next year in spring training. So uh, one step closer, the bat plays, the the discipline and the approach has improved this year. Um, and it's exciting, man, because this dude's got some serious thump and the lineup, the Rockies lineup can really use that. So he might be providing that next season. Sure. And I think it, it's, it's kind of captivating to recognize, you know, I think Austin Gomber certainly is the one that's tabbed in the Nolan Arenado deal is just because he was the, the tenured or at least somewhat tenured big leaguer that was easy to just associate with. But I suppose, you know, looking at the numbers for what Montero has put together in double a with the Cardinals in 2019. Now keep in mind, there is that awkward pause in 2020 where he wasn't suiting up in the minors, but just slugging percentage alone in 2019 double A, he posted a 317. And now that slugging percentage in double A this year jumped up to a 523. So he's showing a lot more pop than he did previously. He's leaving the yard at an increased clip. He's already hit 22 bombs in double A this year. He hit seven all year in 2019 in double A. So out of the middle of nowhere, it's seeming that we've just all of a sudden had a whole lot of a jump in what his power potential has been. And at the same time, you know, adapting to what that's going to be with double a pitching. We were talking earlier with Feltner saying, you know, from high a to double a, that's a significant pitching switch just because, you know, that's typically a huge jump where you really see guys start to separate themselves as far as how bigly ready they are. So WRC plus figure of 135 in double a this year. Um, for those that might not be versed on those stats, 100 is average. So 135 is that's pretty darn good as far as the kids are concerned right here. So again, a very a very limited sample size in in AAA, excuse me. I mean, only three games in at this point in time. But I think that as far as the power is concerned, and this is where I want to bring you guys in, it's pretty versatile to look at, you know, corner infielders. You don't necessarily see them in a standard sense as your guys that are getting on base with the high on base percentage. I mean, you kind of save that for maybe the middle infielders that are a little bit more quick on their feet or a center fielder that you can put in the leadoff spot. So is it kind of uplifting to see, you know, not that we need to pigeonhole him into a, into a stereotype of what you typically see out of first and third baseman, but this jump tick in power, is that something that you guys kind of see is going to really expedite where he's going to go within the system? Yeah, you, you'd hope so. You no, know, because you know, if you look at the big league level, the Rockies are kind of hurting for home runs. Uh, 
And so having these guys down the minors that are proving that, you know, you can get some sluggers to come up and help the team, you know, it, it goes a long way. And what's nice with Montero as well, you know, is that he doesn't have a Joey Gallo type of batting average, whereas <laughs> he's kind of evened it out where it's a really nice line, you know, looking at it along the lines of what you'd get kind of from Nolan Arenado in a down year type of thing. You know? And so I, I it's really good. I and mean, I think everything that he has to bring to the table, especially that power, it's going to really help him, you know, really make the Rockies front office really think hard about if they want to bring him up or not, or when to bring him up. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's proven it with the bat all season long. And I think that it's been almost now that he's provided assurance that that bat is going to play and be a future piece. It's just a matter of being able to fit him in defensively. And I think the work that he's been doing at first base is almost as important as what he's shown with the bat this season and the adjustments that he's made, because he, he, you know, as far as we know, there's still not that DH spot available. And when you're also getting your first taste of the big leagues, it's very unconventional to not have them be defensive, uh, defensive capable players. So um, there's a lot of good takeaways. He needs to keep on getting better defensively so he can stay in the lineup all the way through. But, you know, as we keep on talking about next year, there could be a lot of pressure that Montero is putting on the uh, organization to make him a big league player. It's fun to recognize the versatility of these guys, especially, you know, we'll touch on Colton Welker here in a minute. And I kind of want to segue into the two of these guys between how Montero and Welker are going to feed off of each other, both tabbed third baseman, but at the same time, both don't necessarily need to pigeonhole themselves to that exclusive position. And again, in the national league, it's extremely difficult to be able to have a versatile sense of, it's not like you can just bury somebody in a DH spot. It's I think you really need defensive versatility in a national league landscape. And I do think that a big separating factor is going to be their defensive prowess and how they're able to, you know, cash in your third baseman's glove for a first baseman's glove a little bit and see how this really carries you around the diamond. But another guy that we wanted to touch on really quickly is Colton Welker and seeing what he's been able to do in AAA. He's put a 278 average together. Again, it's not all about average, of course, especially when you're talking about some more power hitting prospects. But what he's put together in AAA, again, slugging percentage a little bit beneath what Montero has done in AA. His, I'm sorry, Welker's slugging percentage is 468 in AAA. But putting it together for an OPS of 845, which again, we're talking about some pretty significant numbers right there, WRC of 111, which if we kind of adjust and normalize for the AA to AAA jump, it's safe to kind of recognize that, you know, Welker and Montero kind of might be going toe to toe. I hate to compare them at this point because it doesn't really matter. But do you really think that is there one that you would probably say is ahead of the other right now? I, I think for me, Welker is still ahead of Montero uh, just from, I guess, being in the organization a little longer. And he's already that known quantity that the Rockies have had for years now. And, you know, just seeing what he's done in spring trainings and everything. So he's more of that known commodity and the Rockies like to stay familiar with folks. And so I think Welker's just a bit ahead of Montero, but it's still pretty close between them two skill-wise and in their development at this point. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because, I mean, Welker missed a lot of time with the suspension this year too. So that's working against him where Montero had to kind of reestablish his stock 
um, after that, that rough 2019. So I think it comes down to it also just being a good problem to have that both of these guys are, you know, they're lumped together because they're kind of both fighting for the same spot on the roster next season. Um, and it's just going to be a matter of who wins out, but either way, I mean, they're both performing well, even if there is a contradiction on them, you know, kind of having the same position, um, same offensive profiles a little bit. So you see who wins out, you know, if one's not working out, you can plug the other one in, give them the chance to, and if not, Hey, if there are future moves for the Rockies and they do have a preference one way or the other between Montero and Welker, well, this could be one of those pieces that allows you to reach outside the organization and acquire some talent that could support weaker areas for the Rockies roster. It's good to have a log jam every once in a while. You know what? That's a pretty luxurious advantage to have in the minor league system. Even if it be just as a trade piece, whatever that may be, you know, you're not necessarily developing your own prospects always. That's not to say the Rockies are going to try to cash this in either, but at the same time, you know, when you've got depth like this, maybe there's an organization that in the AAA levels, they don't have a whole lot of depths in the corner infielding ranks. That's part of the reason the Rockies went after Montero in the first place and that he ended up blossoming into the prospect that he has become, which has been certainly a pretty sizable advantage for him to put together. So we've got two guys to take a look on. If you're in Albuquerque for these remainder of the season, we only got 14 games left on the minor league slate for the lower levels. I realize AAA is on a little bit of a different schedule, but they're kind of running out of time to prove themselves. But at the same time, that's that's kind of a cool problem to have because we might see some serious stuff come together as far as who's going to separate themselves and who's going to really make a name for themselves in this last month of the season. So again, a big shout out to El Juris Montero, Colton Welker, clawing it out in AAA, clawing it out to make that last final impression leading into spring training next season. We're going to make another last final impression here on the podcast after this commercial break where we're going to go over our rundown of all of our affiliates, the schedule ahead. We've kind of primed Skyler on this part of the show. This is where we like to have a lot of fun talking about the different, the different team names, the different ballparks, the different promotions that are going on. We're also running out of games, so this is going to be one of the last and final renditions of this segment because we can't really forecast the road ahead when these games are coming to an end. But nonetheless, we're going to be able to cover this. Don't go anywhere. Stick around. Have a lot of fun with us. You've been tuning in to the Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report podcast. We've got our rundown of all four affiliates the last week, the week ahead, all of the cool details talking about. We get to break Skylar in. This is this is this is it for you guys that have been tuning in all season. This is where we have a little bit of fun with this, needless to say. So we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to go all the way at the top at AAA Albuquerque. Last week they went 2 and 4 against the Round Rock Express in a home series in Albuquerque. The Isotopes scored a single run in three different games, but they also scored nine runs in two of them. They posted a seven spot last Tuesday as well. So we've had a little bit of obscurities going on as far as they're either scoring a ton of runs or they're not scoring a whole lot of anything. So this week they're going to the Oklahoma City Dodgers. That was just a very creative name right there, if I say so myself. (laughs) <laughs> it's a gorgeous ballpark though all right it's the chickasaw bricktown ballpark it's often a host ballpark for the big 12 college baseball tournament i think that there was like torrential flooding in stillwater oklahoma and i think oklahoma state actually had to move some games i think they actually moved a regional there or something like that yeah so sad they had to leave their college stadium to go to a triple a ballpark to play a regional how about that 
Um, anyways, thus far, Isotopes have gone two and two in that series. Again, we're looking at that different schedule in AAA where they end the series in the middle of the week rather than at the end of the week. So that's what we got going down. Um, you know, the Oklahoma City Dodgers uniforms, they got like that weird D on them. Like, I, I'm not, I mean, I realize you can't have the L, I, they have the OKC. Is that right? Because they have like the, the script D for Dodgers. And then is it the OKC on the hat that's like the stacked letters? Yeah, I think so. Kind of like a White Sox? Yeah, because I was thinking they should have tried to match. I mean, I guess they tried to match the L.A., but it's kind of hard to do that with a lot of different shaped letters that are. They're really they're missing the chance to do the Oklahoma City Connect jerseys. Oh, there you go. All blue. There you go. (laughs) Just go go like a little a little darker shade of blue. Mix it up a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because those are so fantastic for LA. Oh my goodness! You know, I'm I'm gonna let our viewers make their own opinions for that. But you know, I I think that was kind of low. Sunday night baseball, they're wearing all blue in San Francisco. I'm just like, are you serious? That's a bold move. Needless to say, all right, we're crossing too much into the ugly race. <laughs> we're going to, on down the list of Double A Hartford. Last week, they just finished a series against the Reading Fighting Phils. Um, if anybody wants to take a guess on what affiliate the Reading Fight and Fills is for, you get absolutely no prize on this because you should. Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> no, unfortunately. Oh. So, oh, you just looked all sad. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm against... confident in my answer. <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine, you know, if they actually had to change it. It's kind of like the Grand Junction Rockies are in the Pioneer League, the Independent League. And there's still the Rockies, which, like, I mean, I get that's your identity, but I feel like that's just kind of weird. Well, it's also because Dick Monfort is a part owner of that team. Yeah, anyway, so they just, yeah you might be onto something. There. It's that's just cheaper to keep it that way. Branding. <laughs> we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to really cater to that Western slope audience right there, man. And the <laughs> vibe was I, already taken. The vibes, yep, you ran out. You couldn't really name yourself the S'mores either because that was already kind of taken too. <laughs> there's always the campaign to change him to the name of that fish the, the fish the, the chubs or something <laughs> the humpback chubs there it is i think there's a shirt on like rotowire or something that's been sold out for a long time talking about changing the changing the name oh no all right before this gets too intense there you go this week we'll move on hartford's taking on the somerset patriots who are a new york yankees affiliate and i don't know if you guys happen to see this as i was just mindlessly scrolling through instagram last week there was a ballpark that had significant flooding, minor league park, from Hurricane Ida. The first three games of the series between Somerset and Hartford have actually been moved from Somerset to Hartford because that ballpark looked like an ocean. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you if you haven't seen this yet, this is absolutely – I mean, if, if you probably have seen this, but you might not have known that it was Somerset's park. It was – you could not see the playing surface. I don't know if you could see the first couple rows of seats. And this is a good size ballpark that they got. I mean, that's a solid double A venue. It was, it's miraculous to see how they've been able to get all of that water out of there, first of all. But needless to say, you can't really play home games there for quite a while because of how submerged it was. I can't believe, you know, the draining on that park. I realize you're talking about just a crazy storm that's going to throw anything off, but that's like unbelievable that they're even going to be able to play there later in the week. So look it up, Somerset's Ballpark. Type in Hurricane Ida, Somerset Ballpark, Google, whatever. You'll find it. It's not going to be hard to find, man. 
for anybody local too to the Denver metro area, look up Overland High School and what happened there. It's pretty oh, much the same geez. thing where the field was basically <laughs> ten feet underwater, oh, and somehow they, they cleaned it up. And well, for Somerset, not <laughs> I don't know Overland. Just, their field, field might have just washed away. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. That was when I was in high school, believe it or not. And I had yeah. been to Overland's field, and it was. The photo on that, I remember they have like the yellow line on the top of the outfield fence, and there were parts of the outfield fence that the yellow line was like going into the water. Yeah, just ridiculous to me. And I remember one of the most torrential storms. I was super sad because I couldn't really get my throwing in those couple days. I had to get adaptive and take it inside. But needless to say, it sounds like they're getting adaptive and moving it to Hartford. So we get a couple bonus home games. And if you're in the Hartford area, how about it? Soak up. And I mean, we're on the home stretch to where we don't have a whole lot of games left, but you guys just got a little bonus dose right there. It's a very cool out. situation. I shouldn't call that a cool situation. That's a terrible situation, but the people of Hartford benefiting, needless to say, get a couple tickets on the record, soak up a little extra ball game. I'm assuming that Somerset's probably going to be the home team for those games. So looks like you're going to get used to the road grays for the yard goes inside Dunkin' Donuts Park. So there's another one for you right there. Um, we'll carry on down the list. Hi, Ace Spokane. Last week, they took on the Tri-City Dust Devils, our favorite graphic designers. Last week, they went 4-0. Spokane went 4-0, which was solid, but they were unable to play the final two games of the series due to COVID-19 protocols. We are just not out of the woods yet, which is just, that's a dismal situation. So speaking of COVID-weird situations, the Spokane Indians are scheduled to end their three-day hiatus in Hillsboro, Oregon, but they're going to be taking on the Vancouver Canadians because the border is still closed for baseball to, if you're not in the big leagues and if you don't play for the Blue Jays, you can't cross into, into Canada still. So they're going to be playing the Hill in the Hillsboro Hops home ballpark. That's been the case for the whole season. So this isn't anything new by any means, but I was looking at attendance figures talking about how different, the ballpark attendance is for Vancouver home games versus Hillsboro home games. And, you know, it, needless to say, it kind of turns into a ghost town when the hometown team isn't playing at that ballpark. Poor Just little serious. brothers. Yeah. The little bros rolling in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough, you know, I, they could have changed their name to the Vancouver Oregonians for a year. Or, I mean, we have enough weird promotions. Just try to like adopt it for like a, a day or two. I mean, if, if we're going to call them the Fresno Tacos, we can call them the Vancouver, Oregon people or something, I guess. Well, yeah, like I've, I've been in Oregon around there near Hillsboro. And so you got like you got Intel out there. They could have been the Vancouver Intel. You got there you a go. factory there. That, I mean, you got possibilities are endless. You got right some here, Lego man. stores in Beaverton, Oregon. So. <laughs> There's a Winco there. So you could be the Vancouver Phil Knights or something. You know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought they were going to double down on the hockey and call themselves the Vancouver Maple Leafs. Yeah, there you go. That would play. I'm trying to think of what else we could do. The, the Vancouver Canucks. Nordiques. The Nordiques. Oh, man. We're getting, we're getting Denver personal right there, man. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty solid. The yeah. Vancouver right, Grand Junction. Your turn. <laughs> Meanwhile, we've got the Grand Junction Rockies just setting it off for all of these minor <laughs> league situations. <laughs> We'll go on, carry down the list. Low A Fresno. They went five and one last week at the Stockton Ports. Very good series for them. So that was very cool to be able to see. And again, you know, it's kind of safe to reason in many respects, the Rockies organizational depth. It's very solid down in Fresno, which is cool to see, but their record has been showing it as well. This week, Fresno is going to the Modesto Nuts. Talk about another former Rockies affiliate. It's just really strange to me to really 
check the four. I mean, I believe Modesto used to be a high A affiliate and then the restructuring brought him down to low A. So we're talking about an ex high A affiliate now in low A taking on an ex triple A affiliate now in low A. And it's, it's been funny to see, I mean, the affiliate matchups, I think there was something about like when Fresno played the San Jose giants, it was a form. They used to be in the same like affiliate structure in, in like high A and triple A. And now it's like, they're playing each other in some really weird, obscure manner. So it's going to be not quite as weird and obscure as that anyways. But for those of you that might've recognized the other Rockies that have gone through Modesto, now it's going to be a little bit of a culture shock seeing Fresno take on Modesto. Whenever we go down this rabbit hole, I always get the mental image of the meme from always sunny in Philadelphia, where Charlie <laughs> has the, the particle board and he's just got all the strings that are the conspiracy <laughs> theory board. And like, I'm just, I'm just trying to follow the strings and I never do. I just give up halfway. It's just been nightmarish. And of course, all these teams take on like extra personas and different names. So it's like sometimes it's confusing to even know who the hell they are in some of these instances. <laughs> I always get confused on who the Grand Junction Rockies are for. <laughs> that one's good. Yep. Them and the Reading Fighting Phils. That's a tough mm-hmm. one to follow along with. Yep. I just, they need to be more direct with me. The Staten Island Yankees lost their affiliate status, too, though. That's a tough one, too. That might be another. We might actually have another one. The Grand Junction Rockies having to pair it up. <laughs> Jeez, I never. This, this is this is getting downhill fast, man. The wheels are falling off. We never know what we're going to turn into. Well, anyways, we only have so many more, so many more opportunities to have the wheels fall off on this segment because for most affiliates, as far as Double A down the list, there's only 14 games remaining. So our recording date, I guess I should clarify this. We are recording on Labor Day, so this is September 6th on Monday, and we'll start off after this league-wide off day from Double A down the list. We only have. 12 more opportunities to take a look at all of these guys. And, you know, our rundown is running pretty thin. I don't know what exactly we're going we're gonna to cover. I mean, we're going to run out of all of these minor league jokes to crack on all of these different teams and all these different affiliates. But before we do so, as always, a shout out to the Arizona Complex League getting their work in on the spring training backfields. Their schedule changes kind of like the spring training schedule does. Every day it's pretty much a new opponent. So it's tough to touch on you know, a week by week outlook, but Monday the 6th, they play at the Giants affiliate in gorgeous Scottsdale, Arizona. Very cool. Followed by a home game against the Cubs in Salt River Fields. So looks like the travel is going to be not very rigorous whatsoever, staying in the same city for two consecutive days. So very cool. It all depends on the loop. How that's doing. Yep, that's right. You never know what the traffic is going to run into. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because I don't know if all of the complex games are in the spring training stadiums themselves. Like, sometimes they'll go to the backfield. Sometimes they'll go, yeah. And if I guess if the stadium's available, sometimes, I mean, if it's hot as hell, you always have the light. Well, I guess they have lights all over those anyways. But needless to say, it is, I guess I need to kind of clarify, I am the resident Arizona resident holding it down in the absolute heat down here. So, you know what? If you want to come and soak up some Arizona Complex League action with me, you never know where I'm going to show up. Hopefully they'll let me into Salt River Fields here to check out some cool details. So stay tuned if you want to make a new friend. All of a sudden, if you see me, and I realize, I guess nobody really knows what I look like if they're tuning in audio only. So if you hear a recognizable voice, needless to say, at Salt River Fields, there we go. Just walk into the gate and start screaming, Justin. (laughs) Hold up a sign like you're at the airport going, is this you? (laughs) Say Justin Wick in the mirror three times and he'll appear. Just Yeah, it's just like some Wizard of Oz wizardry going on. (laughs) You never know. 
Um, shout out to the Dominican Summer League as well, getting it rolling. Soon to see the announcement of the Arizona Fall League rosters, which that in and of itself will probably be an upcoming topic on one of our forthcoming podcasts. So very exciting business. We will make sure that does not go under the radar because that's always one of the more exciting minor league topics to cover. And until then, we're going to get real emotional because we're running out of games, man. I'm an emotional person, all right? I, I, I cry. I'm, I'm a crier, all right? So hopefully we're going to have to hold it together here in the, in the waning days of the 2021 Pebble Report podcast. So needless, we might have to just do an emergency Arizona Fall League one just to make me feel good about myself, man. Our end of season podcast is just going to be 40 minutes of crying hysterically. Skyler, you guys really lucked out with the affected by altitude one. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of minor league headlines in the offseason. You guys at least got some talking points, man. Yeah, but then again, it is the Rockies, so who knows? <laughs> you never know. It's all good. We're going to go into our little breakout player to watch segment. We're going to welcome in Skyler to the breakout player to watch segment. So we've got three guys for you guys to take a look at. Kenneth, you're going to start us off, my brother. Who do you got for this week? I'm going to go with Jake Bird. Um, so with the promotion of Fernandez, that opens the spot for Bird to get more high leverage opportunities. Uh, he's been scoreless in his last six appearances and in nine of his last 11, he's held him scoreless as well. So um uh, he, you know, he's getting his chance. He's going to be one of those guys that's going to be facing the roster crunch um, this upcoming offseason because he'll be Rule 5 eligible. So I think he's going to finish this season strong and make a real good case for the Rockies um, selecting him onto the reserve roster this offseason. I do like that selection. And I mean, certainly a lot to prove down the list when you realize that the Rule 5 draft is incoming and he's really setting out to prove himself within his own organization. There's a lot to see and there's a lot to be excited about for him pitching for his future right there. Kind of similar to a lot of other guys, even at the big league level that are trying to play for that post-arbitration contract. A lot of implications going on for a guy like Jake Bird. Skyler, you got a pretty good selection, too, with a lot of implications. Who's your guy right here? So I've got our good friend Eddie Diaz down in Fresno. Uh, just middle infielder. And so far I had the opportunity to watch Diaz 2019 when he was playing for the grand junction Rockies. And you know, that dude has a really good future for the organization. If he can just put it all together uh, so far here in September, hasn't done too much, but what's nice about him, he puts the ball in play. And if he can get on base, his speed is just game changing 45 stolen bases on the year. I believe he's second, the second most in franchise history for the Fresno Grizzlies. So he, if he can get on base and just keep doing that, putting the ball in play and getting on base, he can go a long way in this organization and see what he can do here these last couple of weeks down in Fresno. Sure, absolutely. And 21 years old, he's definitely got, I mean, he's got somewhat of time as far as how he's able to go up through it. He is Rule 5 eligible here in December of this year. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he continues to climb up through the system. That's part of the details as far as when you go out and you get international signs that you're able to bring into the organization really early. Very interesting to see the landscape ahead of him as well. As far as you look up into Spokane and you see guys like Isaac Collins that are kind of creating that middle infield setup. as far as, you know, there's a lot for these people in Fresno to prove when that's who they're working with that's ahead of them. But at the same time, Eddie Diaz has certainly shown some pretty considerable efforts as far as what he's been able to put together. And, you know, at six foot 175, that's a fun dude to watch flying around the base pass right there, man. So needless to say, that's a guy to definitely keep an eye on if you're down there at Fresno. I am going to go to the elder statesman right here. I'm going to really take a shift. I'm going to go with my brother, Frank Duncan, 
and Triple A Albuquerque. Starting pitcher in his last two starts, he's given up two earned runs in 11 combined innings. He did not get the call. It was instead Ryan Feltner, of course, and it probably would have been Ryan Rollison had it not been Frank Duncan anyways. So I think it's kind of one of those Crash Davis instances where this guy might kind of get buried in the big le- in the minor leagues. And as he's getting older, he still has something to prove. But at the same time, he's throwing extremely well recently. And at the very least, he deserves a shout out, even if he is kind of getting buried at AAA right now, similar to the likes of, I guess, the relievers like Joe Harvey and Zach Roscoe. That's kind of just the nature of the beast when you're talking about some older guys in the system that are just kind of stuck in AAA right now. But at the same time, he deserves a huge tip of the cap. You never know what the future is going to hold for somebody that's kind of potentially on the waning days of their career, but still has something to offer. So definitely something cool to follow along with. And he deserves a lot of love for the effort that he's been putting together. He should break 700 career innings. There you go. uh, During the stretch too, 700 career minor league innings. That's a big old body of work. That's a workhorse right there, man. And that's no joke too. You know, we're not talking about the luxuries of the big leagues flying around all all over the place, staying in luxurious hotels. I mean, sure, they're taking care of you in AAA pretty solid, but you know, that's just, that's blue collar. And that's my kind of ball player right there, man. A lot of bus rides in those 700 innings. (laughs) There's a lot of stories to be had right there. We need to have Frank on the show or something. He seems like a pretty cool dude. Come on down. (laughs) so there we have it jake bird eddie diaz frank duncan your breakout players to watch and ladies and gentlemen we are so thrilled to be bringing back another episode of the pebble report podcast in the waning days here the minor league schedule skylar timmons my brother first and foremost you know thank you for being here seriously my friend you know there's a lot of other stuff that you could have been doing and i get all your responsibilities on that affected by altitude podcast certainly take up a big chunk of your time but you know on behalf of myself and kenneth and the whole crew Thrilled to be able to pick up on your minor league insights. And my friend, thank you for being here. Hey, I appreciate you sending out the invite. Luckily, I was awake when the invite came <laughs> late at night. <laughs> so shout out to TikTok for keeping me awake. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's a pleasure to come. I love seeing these guys that have potential with the future Rockies, seeing what they can do and hopefully have a bright future so we can oh, actually man. get to a World Series one day. <laughs> I hear you right there. Absolutely, my brother. And very fun to be able to pick up on all of the cool insights that you and the Affected by Altitude podcast crew has been putting together. As far as the direct real-time insights that you might be looking for from the three of us on Twitter, you can find Kenneth at KDub1988. Myself is at JustWick. Skyler's Twitter handle is at Sideline underscore Crowd. And of course, Purple Row, we're all over Twitter as well, at Purple Row. The Purple Row account happens to have a lot more followers than any of us do, so needless to say, you know, spread the love, all right? I don't mean to beg for followers, but seriously, Kenneth and Skyler, they deserve a lot of followers, man. Show them some love, and if you've made it this far, you're going to love their Twitter insights anyways, so be sure to check that out. Again, big shout-out to the Affected by Altitude podcast, and a big thank you for all of you guys for tuning in. So on behalf of my co-host, Kenneth Weber, on behalf of our guest, Skyler Timmons, my name is Justin Wick, and until next time... This has been the Pebble Report Podcast, and let's play ball.